On today's episode of Real Life Pharmacology, I'm going to talk about proton pump inhibitors. Classic examples here, Prilosec, generic name Omeprazole, uh, Protonix, generic name Pantoprazole, Nexium is Ezomeprazole, Prevacid is Lansoprazole, and Acefex is Rabeprazole. Now, common uses for these agents, they can help prevent stomach acid or they reduce the amount of stomach acid produced. So any type of uh, gastric ulcer, duodenal ulcer, any type of GI ulcer can be helpful for that. A heartburn, uh, GERD, GI prophylaxis you may see. So patients on NSAIDs, steroids, um, higher risk anticoagulants that, that may put patients at higher risk of GI bleed. Uh, you may see it used for stress ulcer prophylaxis in a uh, acute care ICU type setting. Uh, rarer conditions like Barrett's esophagus, you may see chronic uh, long-term use for sure with uh, PPIs. Also used with uh, management of H. pylori, a bacterial infection that causes stomach ulcers. So those are just a few uh, classic examples where these medications are used. The mechanism of action, again, I said it kind of reduces stomach acid and helps alleviate symptoms of ulcer, of heartburn, and so on and so forth. It does that by inhibiting the hydrogen-potassium-ATP pump. And these pumps are located in parietal cells uh, within the stomach. These are the pumps that create hydrogen ions and lower um, excuse me, increase the acidity of the stomach and creates a lower pH environment within the stomach due to those um, hydrogen ions and that increase in acid. A question I always get asked about PPIs by patients is administration. You know, how do I take this medication? When do I take it? Because they are recommended to be given before meals and usually only dosed once a day. Every Sometimes you will see a dose twice a day in very uh, significant cases. But the timing, uh, it is recommended to give it 30 to 60 minutes before meals. And the thought, the idea, the theory behind that is that gives that medication time to be absorbed and start shutting off those pumps, which are really activated uh, when the stomach gets food in it. So again, this isn't, um, I would say, an absolute thing, but the effectiveness of the medication may be a little bit better if given 30 to 60 minutes before meals. Now with that said, is that something I, I strongly push? Why? I generally recommend it. However, if you've got patients that have, you know, responded really well to it, they hate having to remember to take a medication uh, before they eat, they can't seem to get it into their schedule for whatever reason, the medication still probably will work. It may just not work uh, to its peak effect if we uh, don't give it before meals. So if you've got a patient that's stable, that's taking it with meals, and they feel like they have really good relief, I'm probably not going to push too hard on that patient to 
uh, do it 30 to 60 minutes before meals if they're not going to remember or not going to do it. Now, I do want to talk about adverse effects and, and risks, but I'm going to do that after we take a, a break from our sponsor. Whether you're a nurse practitioner, nurse, pharmacist, pharmacy student, med student, meded101.com has a growing list of great resources to help with board exam preparation as well as becoming better at medication management and pharmacology. meded101.com store is a fantastic resource you need to, to check out. Again, meded101.com slash store, S-T-O-R-E. So we're back, and, and thanks for listening, certainly. We're going to talk about risks and adverse effects that you need to pay attention to with PPIs. I would say overall, they're generally pretty well tolerated, but there are some potential uh, longer-term associations and things you might see creep up. So one one example here is C. diff, um, a infection, bacterial infection in the gut that can cause um, nasty diarrhea and things like that. There does seem to be an increased association, increased risk in patients on chronic uh, PPIs. So that's something to, to look out for. I remember having a, a case scenario where a patient was uh, having recurrent C. diff. The reason we were using a, a PPI was just kind of for stomach upset uh, not really a severe, severe condition like Barrett's esophagus, for example. And that was a, a good patient in, in my mind uh, to try to get off of, of that PPI. Another adverse effect risk that you might see is magnesium levels. PPIs do have the potential of causing lower magnesium levels. Uh, you know, this may lead to leg cramping and, and issues of uh, uh, similar to, to that. Um, very rarely, uh, if magnesium levels are low enough, that can lead to um, cardiac changes and, and cardiac issues. Usually the levels have to get very, very low for that, and typically um, PPIs alone aren't going to do that. But if a patient's maybe on diuretics or other things that could uh, possibly reduce that magnesium, that PPI may um, put them at a slightly higher risk there. B12, PPIs have been definitely associated with lower B12 levels. If you've got a patient that maybe isn't eating that well to begin with, maybe a patient on metformin as well, which can lower B12 levels, uh, we may want to, to take a look at that. Um, classic signs and symptoms of, of low B12, you may see anemia creep up. Uh, rarely there can be some cognitive issues. Uh, you may also see um, maybe neuropathy or nerve-type pain with low B12 levels as well. PPIs have been associated with an increase in fracture risk, so that's something to keep in mind in our patients at higher risk, making sure that PPI is justified long-term and we can't you know, do anything about it. Um, that's definitely something you need to assess and, and look at. Uh, there are warnings associations with lupus, that is something extremely rare that I honestly I haven't seen in practice, um, but there are some warnings about contributions uh, to lupus there as well. Drug interactions. 
So there's a couple of classic examples that I always see asked uh, on test questions, and I've definitely seen uh, in real-life practice as well. Omeprazole and Celexa. So this is um, basically a drug interaction where the concentrations of Celexa or Citalopram is the generic name, are increased. And that could potentially lead to serotonin syndrome and potentially QTC prolongation, particularly if a patient's at risk for that or on a bunch of other medications that could prolong uh, QTC interval as well. I'll talk a little bit more, obviously, about serotonin syndrome uh, in uh, antidepressants uh, where we uh, use those SSRIs more commonly um, and uh, break that down a little bit further in that section. But again, uh, omeprazole specifically, uh, there is a, a warning dose limitation in use with citalopram, and you really want to limit that dose to 20 milligrams if possible. Now with that said, if somebody's above that, say somebody's on citalopram 40 milligrams and you put them on omeprazole, well, we really better be watching very closely um, for adverse effects from that higher concentration of citalopram if it's justified uh, that both are to, to be continued there. We can also look at the omeprazole. Can we do something different? Can we do uh, an H2 blocker? Is this really necessitate a, a PPI in the situation we're using um, that omeprazole for and assess uh, the omeprazole too. The other classic, classic interaction that um, is has a lot of uh, clinical controversy is clopidogrel. So this is a blood thinner used post-MI to help prevent another heart attack, used with stenting, and that medication is a prodrug. And it is activated by the enzyme CYP2C19, which omeprazole and other PPIs inhibit. So this interaction actually leads to lower concentrations of the active metabolite of clopidogrel. With that said, it's controversial. We, we don't have great evidence. We, we know in vitro that it does impact concentrations, but we don't know clinically or we don't have great evidence clinically to know how significant that interaction is. But obviously, if it does lower concentrations, we're at higher risk for heart attack and things of that nature, which certainly uh, is not a, a good thing. So again, pretty controversial. Uh, I will see some clinicians switch to pantoprazole. That's a generic protonics, which may have a little less activity at that 2C19 uh, enzyme. So that's kind of one strategy. Certainly another strategy is to look at the PPI. Do they really need that PPI long term? Can we try, uh, like I said before, an H2 blocker? Can we try caraphate? Do they need acid suppressing therapy long term? Making sure to assess that would be important. One other thing that I did want to bring up is the idea of stepping up or stepping down. This is something that you may come across. Um, 
you know, usually we kind of go in a continuum as far as acid suppressing agents. We might just use as needed Tums. You know, if somebody has heartburn just sporadically, maybe it's just with something they eat once in a while, that's kind of the um, low end of the, the totem pole. And then we step up and then we can utilize uh, H2 blockers, which are a little less on the potency scale of suppressing acid compared to the PPIs. And then the PPIs are kind of the best or the have the greatest acid um, reducing effect. And so that process is kind of stepping up, making sure that we start at the lowest. And if the patients don't do well on those lower, then we step up to a, a higher um, level of acid suppression. Step down therapy, now that's where we initiate a PPI. Somebody has heartburn, we initiate a PPI for two, four, six weeks, and then we start to step them down. Maybe we do an H2 blocker after that and, you know, slowly uh, whittle down on those doses to where we try to get off um, the antacid type agents. Rebound acid is a big, big problem. Uh, I run into a ton of patients that have been on PPIs for a really long time. They've tried to go off and they have rebound acid, rebound reflux, rebound symptoms. And it is really, really hard uh, to get some of those patients off of that medication for sure. So stepping down very slowly, uh, going down in, in small, small increments on the dosing, uh, I think is an important thing to do if we're trying to get them off um, in our chronic uh, use type patients. Hopefully that gives you a good overview of PPIs, uh, some side effects, administration, uh, mechanism of action, of course, and, and uses. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Again, go check us out at reallifepharmacology.com. I've got that uh, free exam. That's absolutely free uh, for subscribers to the website. Thanks all for listening and hope you have a great day.